Thank you, Daniela. We often say that Luke loves to give names to people. Luke's the gospel where if you meet somebody, he has to tell you who it is and who they're married to and where they come from and how long they've been there. But Matthew does that sometimes too. He likes ascribing names. And in this passage that's just been read for us, there are two. He shall be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. With us in all sorts of ways, wonderfully. God with us in our ups and our downs, in our joys and our trials. It's one of the greatest things about being a minister of religion, to be able to hold on to the fact with whatever pastoral disaster or joy is in front of you, to be able to say like John Wesley did on his deathbed, but the best of all is God is with us. God's not absent in this situation. But that's another sermon for another day. Today, I wanted to focus on the command of the messenger to Joseph in his dream because it was the role of the male to give the baby a name in ancient society. Call him Jesus, says the messenger, because he shall save his people from their sins. Because the name Jesus, as you all know, means savior or God saves. Names are significant. Doesn't matter which culture you come from or whereabouts in the world you are, names are important. They're often usually given you at birth to denote the family that you're born into, to denote who you are in a context of relationships. Some folk are named after a, a well-loved or respected relative. Americans particularly, it took me a long time because I'm a bit dim about these things, but I could never work out why everybody always used to say in America, oh, he's Henry III. I thought I was a king of, of England. Uh, but it meant the third in the line of being called Henry, like your dad and your granddad. My own father, God rest his soul, was just thrilled when months before his death, we plonked, that's a good Yorkshire phrase, we plonked our, his first great-grandchild on his knee, and my son said proudly to him, we've named him after you, Dad. And there's something about being in the family name. Some names denote the day the person was born to mark something. There are family names where we feel we've got to live up to them. And there are names where if we disgrace them, the first thing that says to us is you're a disgrace to your family. You've, you've ruined the family name. Names are important. We have Christian names either given us in infant baptism, that part of infant baptism that we sometimes refer to as christening means quite literally to be named in Christ. Monks often choose or have given to them a new name when they take the final step of taking lifelong orders in a particular big order. And sometimes names are given to people retrospectively to acknowledge some great achievement. You have to say when you think of these that they're usually sort of tyrannical achievements like William the Conqueror 
Attila the Hun. But just occasionally somebody looks back and I guess by in the Roman church when somebody sort of says she was Teresa, she was a nun, she worked in Calcutta. But retrospectively we look back at her life and we say she shall be Saint Teresa. We'll give her a new name. Names matter. Which is why Matthew is at pains to say to us at the beginning of the life of Jesus Christ, or even just before the beginning of his life at birth. Listen, Joseph, you shall name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I've met people in a variety of circumstances over the years, and I'm sure you have too. I've met quite rarely, but from time to time, people who have been in a situation where they've been convinced that they are facing evil. And they ask somebody, a minister or somebody, to go along and they say, we want you to pray in this house because we don't feel right, we feel at ease, ill at ease here. And from time to time, that ministry of deliverance or whatever you call it, it's so important, however you understand this, that when you're about that, you say to yourself, this is not about me standing here. This is saying, in the name of Jesus, may God's presence be here. And on those rare occasions, it's been the name of Jesus that stands in the center of a circumstance. In healing, we have those lovely, quiet, always powerful healing services month by month. Uh, if you're a newcomer to the church, recognize that the healing ministry is a key part of our ministry here. And I invite you to participate in that over the months. But if you were to listen to our trained team of people offering prayers for healing, they quite rightly don't turn around and say, I am going to heal you. What they say to you, either gently or sometimes in a kind of stark way, is in the name of Jesus, we pray for your healing. In Jesus' name, we say. I remember in the second circuit I was ever in, in West Yorkshire, going to collect some things for the church, and I can use her, ne her real name because she's long gone to glory and she didn't mind anyway. Uh, Yuna, in my church, one of our church stewards, who was without doubt the most charismatic, flamboyant, overt, in-your-face Christian I've ever known. Now, you think some of you, no, no, Yuna, you pale into insignificance. And we were walking across the front of Boots, collecting something for the church. I can't remember what it is. It's years and years ago. And this boy just dropped down in front of us. And the mother sort of went down and put her bag underneath his, his head. And I thought, well, I did the male thing. I thought, oh, well, there's a woman there. It's all right. Yuna, straight down, does he do this very often? No, no, he doesn't. 
do you mind if I pray with him? No, no, I don't mind at all. And there in front of Boots, she puts her hand on this boy's head, in the name of Jesus, come, and he came round. Now, he might have come round anyway, faint heart Martin. But the woman, the, the, the mother of the child, then they got into a conversation about why did you bother stopping? With, who are you anyway? It's about Jesus, she said. Now, I couldn't do that. I'm just a kind of retiring Yorkshireman. But she could do that. But when you get back up the road with her and you say, have you got a gift of healing. Can you heal people? Now, I can't heal anybody. But I believe that Jesus does. And in his name, and then I recall meeting a group of Christians who you can only describe as being persecuted. They were at a remote country in the world. They were thought to be the lowest of the low in their society. They didn't get good jobs. Their children couldn't join the normal schools. Even in the infrastructure of the society, it seemed that they were disadvantaged. They didn't get letters that other people got. They didn't get opportunities or invitations that other people got. Occasionally, the children were roughed up on the way home. Sometimes the girls were intimidated or ridiculed. Occasionally, graffiti appeared on their doors or was written on their cars as they got up in the morning. They were among the poorest people in the area. It was a sort of Christian apartheid. Their worship was wonderful, but you got that impression when you were visiting them. That that's the situation you were in. And occasionally there were tears. But the thing I remember them saying to me most of all, when we met in a house with no lights on for an act of worship, when I mentioned it to them, when I'd been there a few days long enough to just sort of say to them, don't, don't you feel downtrodden? Don't you feel picked on? Don't you feel marginalized? Don't you feel it's not fair? We count it a privilege, they said, to suffer because suffering brings honor to the name of Jesus. And he said that his disciples would be persecuted for his name's sake. And we rejoice that we can share in his sufferings. I felt about that big. If you look at uh, people who know a thing or two about Wesley hymns, the hymn that they identify that focuses most upon the name of Jesus is not at the name of Jesus. It's Wesley's hymn, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. Uh, and if you go online and uh, you see some American scholars, how they've treated that hymn as a quintessential Charles Wesley hymn, they, you will notice that he picks up every single image that I've just given you about the name of Jesus. My gracious master and my God, Assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. And then, think of Una and others. Jesus, 
the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrow cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. He speaks and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful, broken hearts rejoice. The humble poor believe. Hear him, ye deaf. His praise ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold your Savior come and leap, ye lame for joy. My own testimony took place in the early hours of uh, a Saturday morning in a nightclub in the center of the universe, a place called Bradford in West Yorkshire. And what I now know to be an evangelist came round with a kind of clipboard and sat down at a table I was with, with my girlfriend of the time, thinking back at the time, probably the girlfriend of the week, and he came and he said, do you mind if I ask you a few questions? And I now know he was an evangelist, but then, I mean, he could have been selling Coca-Cola for all I knew, so I said, no, 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 come sit down. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in the devil? So on and so on. And then he used these questions as the kind of occasion to just sort of say, have you received Jesus Christ into your life? Except that he didn't say that, and it was one of the few pieces of jargon that he used. And it threw me because I didn't quite follow him when he said it at first. He said, have you called upon the name of the Lord? Anyway, I went home wondering about this because he'd not pricked my conscience exactly, but he'd certainly given me something to think about. And I guess the thing he, he, he got me to think about was the thing he wanted me to think about, which was, how did I stand in relation to the claims of Jesus Christ? Who was I going to live for? What was it all about? And when I tell this story, I got back at some unearthly hour in the morning, whatever time it was, and I did something that was very, very almost, well, almost unheard of. I knelt down by my bed before I climbed into it and said something like this, Lord, I've heard a lot of funny things about you tonight. I don't know whether you're there or not, but if you are there, Show yourself to be real to me. And then because I'd heard it several times, I said at the end of it, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, when I'm telling this with my tongue in my cheek, by the time I got up, probably about noon, I knew that God couldn't have existed because he'd not answered my prayers because my younger brother was still alive. But I also know that in some subtle way throughout the rest of the day, I knew something had happened to me. And that some of the things that much, much later on when I'd found other words to describe what had happened to me, Charles Wesley was speaking exactly about it, about new life the dead receive, setting people free, 
mournful, broken hearts rejoicing. For some, receiving Jesus, coming to know not the name but the person, is a sudden thing. For some, it's several sudden things. For some, it's a very gradual thing, like someone turning on a spiritual dimmer switch in your life so that over a long period of time, all of a sudden, you keep saying to yourself, I I can see this a bit better. And so I remembered this story just this week while Helen and I were traveling in the car. I think because of the time of the year it was, we were traveling... And we went up a street where one of the houses was absolutely resplendent with about a thousand lights. There were reindeers in the garden. There was Santa going up the side of the... Have you seen some of those houses? People very conscientious about energy use and the planet, you know. And I turned to Helen. I said, do you remember when you were small? I said, we used to count Christmas trees... And they were always not in the back of the house. They were always right in the front window. And when you were going up a street, you'd go one, two, three, four. And I remembered it took me back to the time when, uh, as a young lad with my brother, we'd visit relatives at Christmas time, as you did. And then we'd get sat in the back of the car. And my dad had turned the car on and get it quite warm. So we went into the back. We got changed, ready for bed before we left aunties or whatever it was. You're all looking at me like I've gone out. This is Yorkshire life. (laughs) And you get into the car, and at first you're not asleep, and you go, so mum would say, count Christmas trees. 186, 180, and eventually, sleep overtakes you. And you wake up the next morning in your own bed, at home, and you've no idea how you got there. But you must have got there because that's where you are. Now, I know I'm annoying people in speaking what some of you say is in riddles. But for some people, that's the experience of becoming a Christian. You wake up one morning and you're suddenly there. And you can't for the life in you remember how you got there, but you must be there because you're there. It's not the speed, it's the direction and the destination. But fast or slow, sudden or gradual, it is about coming to see the truth that in Jesus, he is the one who saves people from their sins. It's not that this name of Jesus is a talisman. It can almost appear like that sometimes. If you get a particularly dramatic person praying, for instance, for deliverance or prayers for healing, there's almost a sense that you've got to get the words right. And if you don't get the words right, then nothing will happen. Nothing could be further than the truth. There's that great Roman prayer from the Roman Missal that I'll get a little bit wrong, but basically sort of ask God at the end of several prayers, if we've said something wrong or it's gone from our mind, then hear not the words that we say, but look upon the heart and receive what we offer. 
So it's not the number of times you can say in a prayer, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that somehow it beefs up the authority. It's just the recognition that actually you have no authority. The authority is given in the name of Jesus. And it's the name above all other names. And it's the name that people have used and through the experience of coming to know the one who holds the name, they have borne testimony, yes, he is the one who saves people from their sins. And he's done it for 2,000 years. He's done it in every culture on earth. He's done it around the world. He's done it down the ages. And he's done it up to heaven. And there'll be people here who know exactly what I'm talking about, and there'll be some of us here saying, ah, yeah, but everybody but me. You see, I'm a special sort of sinner. I've got special sort of problems. I've got things in my life that I've not told a living soul, and God wouldn't understand them. So, yes, Jesus saves his people from their sins Except one person, it's me. No. In fact, if I wanted to be a bolshe Yorkshireman, God forbid. I'd turn round to you and while being a pastoral person and saying, you know, would you like to tell us about why you think it's so difficult that you're included in the offer of salvation by God? I'd also say to you, if I knew you a bit better, who do you think you are? You think out of the whole population of the planet, over 2,000 years, that you've done sins that God can't forgive, that you've thought thoughts that God doesn't understand, that you conceive things in your heart that God can't know the first thing about? Who do you think you are? His name is Jesus. And he saved people from their sins. God never tires of forgiving us. God never tires of forgiving us even when we're tired of thinking that we need forgiveness. Jesus is the face of the invitational God who says to you and me, whoever we are, wherever we come from, with whatever baggage we bring, I am Jesus. And I save people from their sins. Even you. Today. Now. Praise God. Amen. Angels from the realms of glory wing your flight o'er all the earth. 